Let's continue in prayer. Father, the, the words of that song speak of, of the darkness trembling and the reality of Jesus. And I confess sometimes it, we, it's so easy to sing these terms without wrestling with the, the meaning they communicate. It's easy to sing those words without really wrestling with the, the power, the authority, the transformation that comes through the work of Jesus Christ. So in the busyness of whatever has happened over the last few days, even the, the hectic reality of getting out in the snow today, just can we just slow down for a moment and now come back to the reality of who Jesus is and what it means to follow. And I pray these things in his name. Amen. Well, again, I want to welcome you. Great to see you this morning. My name is George Davis. Thank you for getting out. Thank you for getting out safely. And also on a daily night today, I just want to express my appreciation to our facilities team for making it possible for us to gather. <clears throat> Those guys do a great job. So, yeah, I think it's... Well, this morning we, we are continuing in our study of, of Mark's gospel. And as we continue in that study, I want to begin by asking you just to think for a moment about a question that runs through your mind on a very regular basis throughout your day. And the question is simply this. What time is it? Right? What time is it? I mean, I don't know what, you're, you know, what tomorrow will look like for you. Some of us at home, some of us at school, some of us at work. But throughout the day, at different points, you're, you're going to wrestle with, uh, it'll just cross your mind, okay, what time is it? I've got to get to my next appointment. What time is it? I'm meeting some from, someone for lunch. What time is it? I'm in this class that I don't really like. How much longer will this teacher go? When will the period end? What time is it? Or maybe you get to the end of your shift, the end of your work day. Oh, when's it going to go? I'm ready to go home. What time is it, right? We, we wrestle throughout the day. with this, It's just a recurrent question. What, what time is it? And I bring that to your attention because as we continue our journey through the gospel of Mark, in a real sense, Mark brings up this question as well. As Mark tells the story of Jesus... He brings up the question of, so what time is it? To show you what I mean, if you've got a Bible, I'm going to ask you to join with me in turning to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. So if you've got a Bible with you on a mobile device, if you don't happen to have one, there should be one in a pew rack close by. As you're turning there, by the way, I just, I, I just want to say thank you this morning. If you were here with us a few weeks ago as we were starting to go into the Christmas season, I, I asked you, um, I asked you to, to just join Rose and me in considering how you could help us fin finish the year in strong financially. I mean, really up to that point as we'd gone through the fall, our giving wasn't fully funding our ministry needs. We'd, we'd fallen behind, so we wanted to finish the year strong, and, and many of you took that seriously. And so I, I just want to say thank you to the ways in which uh, you partnered with us, and some of you I know were very sacrificial in your givings. So I, I just, I just, please hear from me. Thank you for being a part of that. 
Of course, now as we move forward, you know, the, the challenges continue to move in a healthy direction because we, among other things, we get days like today, a snow day, which, which hits our giving. And, and particularly to those of you maybe who in, in some sense would say, I'm, I'm, I'm a part of this church, I'm becoming a part of this church, but maybe you haven't started to partner with us financially, I just want to invite you and challenge you to do that. And as you do that, let me just also encourage you to see that in doing that, you, you are, you're, you're just helping make ministry happen. For instance, one of the things that we're doing around here is we're trying to be more intentional and effective at kind of building into the lives of the people who serve here and are involved in, in leadership. So in, in two weeks, we're bringing in a very gifted trainer to work with some of our staff and, and, and our leaders just in terms of how we can do a better job of that and, and be more intentional in building in some of these relationships and mobilizing people well. And he's going to work with us on a Friday night and a Saturday morning. And I'm just looking forward to what we're going to be learning in those times together. And, and just know as you partner with us, those are the kinds of things that you are making happen. So, so thank you for that. Now, as I said... You and I, we, on a regular basis throughout our day, we're thinking about what time is it? And, and Mark really deals with that topic as well. In fact, I, I think a question that Mark would ask you in the opening chapters as he tells the story of Jesus is this. Do you know what time it is? Now, before you look at your watch or before you pull out your phone, you need to understand that Mark has something slightly different in mind. To show you what I mean, let's pick up the story in Mark chapter 1, verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. Notice that. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now notice, notice the, the first words that we hear from the lips of Jesus. We've already been introduced to Jesus. Mark's going to tell us the good news about Jesus, but the first words on his lips as Mark tells the story is this, the time has come. Now, interestingly, the term that is used here, it doesn't simply refer to chronological time. It's not about chronology. It's about opportunity. What, what Jesus is saying here is, is the moment of opportunity has come. Some of you kind of know what's that like. I mean, some of you, maybe you, you know, you got up on Black Friday because I had to get out because this was on sale and, and I need to make sure I get it. So there was that window of opportunity, that moment of opportunity that you took advantage of. Or at some point you've gotten online because, you know, there's these tickets to this concert or there's this thing that's on sale and, and I've got to get it now or they'll run out or I've got to buy it now because the price is going up. And it, it's a moment of opportunity. That's, that's the kind of time. One of our sons flew back to college yesterday and, of course, so 24 hours I was online. What, I want to check him in and get the best boarding spot possible. It was a, a moment of opportunity. That's the time that we're in. And what Jesus is saying is the first words of Jesus are telling you what time it is. The moment of opportunity has come. You can actually translate it this way. The moment of opportunity is being fulfilled. Because the language Jesus uses here takes us back once again to the fact that Jesus is coming, not simply on his own. He's coming as the fulfillment of all these rich, deep promises in the Old Testament. 
promises of forgiveness, promises of restoration in our relationships with God and others, promises of renewal, promises of new life, promises of being reconnected with God. And Jesus says, all of these things are being fulfilled through me. That's what he means by it's come near. It is coming near through me. Because the, through me, this dynamic rule, this dynamic reign of God is now here. The moment of opportunity is here. Do you know what time it is? And of course, right, with, with every opportunity, with every moment of opportunity, there comes the need to respond and there comes the appropriate response, right? I mean... You've, you've been in those situations, the tickets are on sale, I've got to get them now, so I must respond, and so I get online. The window to check my son in is, is now here, so I must respond and, and get online and do that. For Jesus, in light of this moment of opportunity that is now here through him, he says the, the only appropriate response is to repent, to turn and believe the good news. Of course, I think the, the underlying question for us, and this had to be an underlying question for many people around Jesus, is this. Okay, so why take him seriously? Right, understand, so here's this guy. He's now showing up in, in northern, walking around northern Israel, and he's got this dramatic message. And it's like, what, wait a minute, what did you say? And you're just like, well, the kingdom of God is here. You look around, okay, so where's the army? Dude, you're all alone. And by the way, where are you from? Nazareth. Nazareth? Man, you're from that little hole-in-the-wall place in Perry County? Right? No, I mean, Nazareth, what? Good, right? I mean, it's Nazareth. Nobody goes to Nazareth. And he's got this incredible message that now this moment of opportunity is coming through him. Oh, come on. Why should I take this seriously? Well, the answer to that question really hinges on one issue. And the, the issue is this. The answer hinges on Jesus' identity. I think Mark understands the questions that we may have. And so, so as, as Mark is telling the story of Jesus and selecting the stories he will tell us, I mean, Throughout this, particularly the opening half of the book, he's wanting us to wrestle with who is he? Who is Jesus? No, really, who, who do you think he is? I know you've been in church all these years, or you've heard the stories over and over, but who do you think he is? In fact, the entire first half of the book builds to that very question. Right, where Jesus looks at his disciples, no, 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 I know you've heard all the stories and what people are saying, but, but who do you think I am? So Mark wants us to wrestle with this question. So throughout these opening questions, throughout these opening chapters, Mark wants us to wrestle with who is Jesus. And he wants you to see, you know, if you really understood what time it was, if you understood that this moment of opportunity, this kingdom of God is now here, you would respond accordingly. And so now as the story begins to unfold, we actually see people responding. So look at verses 16 and following, and we're introducing, we're introduced to the call of those early disciples. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. 
At once they left their nets and followed him. So now we're introduced to kind of the early stages of Jesus' ministry. And what we're going to start to see, it's going to take place up in this northern part of Israel, around this Sea of Galilee. And, and it's an area with lots of fishing, so some of the early followers of Jesus are going to be fishermen. Now, to introduce you to kind of the background of this part of the book, just watch this video. As we continue this week in our study of Mark's gospel, we discover that much of Jesus' teaching ministry takes place around the Sea of Galilee. This is a large freshwater lake in northern Israel. It's 12 and a half miles long and seven miles wide. Not surprisingly, because Jesus' ministry was up here, several of his early disciples were fishermen, and they would have used a boat just like this. These are the remains of a first century Galilean fishing boat. Because of the extensive fishing industry, this lake was dotted with harbors. The fishing was best in the northern part of the lake, so there were lots of small towns along its northern shores. As we follow Jesus' life, much of it unfolds in these small communities. Since Jesus was closely linked with this area associated with fishing, it's not surprising that the fish and the anchor became symbols of early Christianity. In fact, even to this day, you may have a fish on the bumper of your car. Right? Some of you do, right? Others of us choose not to in case we're seen speeding, but that's okay. <laughs> right? I don't, don't want to catch the pastor with, you know, don't want to be a bad witness, keep the fish off your car. So, uh, so we see in the the early stages of Jesus' ministry is taking place up around the Sea of Galilee, and, and it, it entails these, these guys that were fishermen. By the way, just a reminder, as we go through this, we've got additional resources posted at hfcinfo.com, and when I was in Israel this summer, I did uh, just a brief background video for each of the weeks, and you can find them on that website just like this. Now, as we see these early fishermen, I, let's be honest, particularly for those of us that have been around church for a while, isn't it easy to kind of look at these guys with, with a condescending eye? Uh, you know, they were just fishermen, right? But I think these guys deserve more respect than we sometimes give them. And to show you what I mean, let me just show you a map of the area that we're talking about as we start working our way through this part of Jesus' ministry. So you see the Sea of Galilee. You see some of the villages maybe that you're familiar with dotted along the northern shore. This is where much of Jesus' ministry will take place. And, but as you look at this, one of the things you need to understand is that the, the fishing industry in the first century in the Sea of Galilee was very advanced. It was highly developed. This wasn't simply a group of guys that were, you know, catching enough so they could feed their families at the end of the day. It was very specialized. There was actually an export business so that fish caught in the Sea of Galilee were being exported to other parts of the Roman world. Furthermore, just think about the, the disciple you perhaps are most familiar with who was a fisherman, and his name was Peter. Now, we know from John's gospel that he was actually from the town of Bethsaida. If you look at the Sea of Galilee, it's kind of up at the top. But his... When we are introduced to him, he's now living in a place called Capernaum. That's going to be a major center, right, for Jesus' ministry. It's a little to the left, if you see that. And, and this is where we meet Peter because his, his home, his fishing business is now headquartered in Capernaum. 
Now notice, as you look at the map, that those communities are in different political regions. That's why the, the color is different on the map. So Capernaum is in the, a district known as Galilee. Bethsaida is, is in a district, it's not on the map, but it's, it's actually known as Galanitas. Now I think part of the reason Peter chose to headquarter his home, his fishing operation in Capernaum <laughs> was to do this, was to save taxes. Because you see, when you move goods, goods across that district boundary, there would have been customs duty, right? In fact, we will be introduced to a tax collector in Capernaum by the name of Matthew, who was a customs officer. And, and there was a tax office there because duty would have been paid on goods crossing that district line. And so, so when we think about these guys, don't simply look down on them as, as fishermen. These are successful small business owners, perhaps even in, engaged in international business. And yet we see this call and they're, they're radically confronted with the person of Jesus Christ. And now they, they drop everything to follow him. Now, as, as the story continues, Mark basically shows us in this opening part of the book, he basically shows us a day in the life of, of Jesus. And so now notice that we see Jesus in this small town of Capernaum, verse 21 and following. They went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in the synagogue, in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit, a demon cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now notice, Jesus says, be quiet and come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Now pay attention to this because this is, this is, you're going to see this pattern at different places in the book where, where Jesus is, is engaging a demon or he's engaging someone who is healed and he says, be quiet. Don't tell anybody who I am. And we'll come back in a moment as to why he does that. And of course, as this transpires, the people were, they were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, right? Who is this guy? A new teaching and with what authority even, he even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. And so news about him spread quickly over the entire region of Galilee. The day continues and after the synagogue service, Jesus is, is just a few feet away, apparently in Peter's house and his mother-in-law has a fever and he heals her. And not surprisingly then, right, as you get to the evening, people are coming to to Jesus and they're surrounding this house, they're wanting, wanting to be healed or wanting to have demons exercised. The story continues and we kind of actually move to the next day, verse 35. Very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went out to a solitary place where he prayed and Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you, right? They're excited. Everybody, you're, you are the hottest thing in town. Everybody's looking for you. Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. This is why I've come. So he traveled throughout, the Gal throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and, and driving out demons. And then we see one more scene that, that we'll look at this morning. 
verses 40 and following. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone. But go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. (laughs) Of course, instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people came, still came from everywhere. They still came for him. So Mark is telling us these different stories, and he's wanting us to wrestle with, okay, who is he? What's going on here? Who is this? And I think he's challenging you to kind of come to that decision of wrestling with, okay, who do you see Jesus to be? And with that in mind, let's just notice several things that I think we learn about Jesus in these opening scenes. Perhaps the most common thread that runs through these scenes is simply this. We see Jesus' authority. We see his authority. In fact, notice in kind of in that opening scene, we, we see people around him wrestling with, okay, so, so who is he and where does he get this authority? What is the nature of this authority? And the term used here frequently refers to supernatural authority. And we see different scenes, but a common theme in all these scenes is Jesus has authority. He has power. He has authority over sickness. He has authority over the demonic realm and the next chapter, it will build to us for us to see that, you know, he has the authority to forgive sin. So Mark wants you to see, you know what, he's not just an amazing teacher. He's not simply some wonder worker, some charismatic leader. This is, this is someone unlike anyone you've ever met before. You've never met anyone who was able to keep his promises the way Jesus can. Likewise, you never met anyone who can disrupt the status quo the way Jesus does. I mean, that, in that kind of dramatic scene where he's engaging this demon, and the demon in essence asks, what do you want with us? The language here communicates this idea. Why are you invading our territory? Why are you coming into our space? And we're reminded in this opening scene that, you know what, you and I, we don't, we don't simply live in a broken world or a world where sometimes, you know, government doesn't work or systems don't work or people make mistakes. We are reminded that at a cosmic level, there are evil forces at work. There is a demonic realm. And Jesus is now invading their space. He's come to conquer the forces of evil. He has come to conquer death itself. As he will say later, he has come to bind the strong man. So Mark wants you to see this. Look, you've got to decide. Who do you see when you see Jesus? But he said, look, I want you to see his power. I want you to see the fact that he comes as the promised one. He comes as the Messiah. He comes as the very son of God. But notice, we... In these, we, we don't simply see raw power here and authority because we also see his compassion. I mean, think again of that scene, right, we just read about where, where this guy with leprosy comes to him. 
And, and as you read Mark's gospel, remember Mark is, he moves very quickly. So when he gives us little details, I think sometimes it's very important. And the little detail that he gives us here is this guy doesn't simply come to Jesus. We see him coming and falling on his knees. It's an act of sheer desperation. This man is desperate. Because you need to understand that he, he's not simply a guy with a disease. He's a guy who is isolated. See, there were very clear social, cultural norms at work here. That those who had leprosy were isolated from the rest of the community, from their town, from their village. In fact, some, some rabbis referred to people with leprosy as the living dead. It's like they're zombies because they've been cut off. They've been, they've been kicked out. I mean, that's the only way we can protect the community is to remove them. In fact, you need to understand that the very fact this guy shows up in front of Jesus, he's breaking all sorts of social norms because the, the regulations were clear. He was to stay away from groups of people. In fact, I can only imagine that there, at this moment, if there are people surrounding Jesus, it was so easy for this guy to, to get right in front of him because as he's coming, everybody else just backs off. The waters part. And now in utter desperation, in utter violation of all the cultural norms, he falls in front of Jesus. Desperate. But desperate times call for desperate actions. And notice what happens. It's interesting, I mean, just a technical point here, the, the earliest copies of Mark's gospel, there, there's some disagreement as to how to read part of this uh, part of the story. In fact, you may see different translations hand, handle it differently. I think most likely what the earliest text says is that Jesus was indignant. He was angry. But there are other early texts that also say that, well, no, he had compassion. And I think what's going on here is this. I think, I think most likely what Mark wrote here was that Jesus was indignant. And that sounds hard to believe, right? I think what he was indignant at, he was, he was indignant the way this disease has just ravaged this man's life, right? Particularly if he's just watched the waters, the sea of people just stay away. Everybody stay away. Give him room. We can't touch him. He's seen all of that just take place, and he's angry. He's angry at how this disease has ravaged this man. It's, it's isolated him. He's angry. And then moved by the deep compassion, Jesus heals him. So that's how, that's how I think we actually get some texts that say Jesus was angry while other early copies of the text say he was deeply compassionate. But notice this, and once again, pay attention to the small details that Mark gives. Jesus doesn't simply heal him, right? He could have spoken the word and the man would be healed. Now in front of whoever's there, the people that are just part of the waters, what does he do? He reaches out and touches him. Now don't, don't miss this. It is quite possible that it had been years since this man had been touched by another human being. And, and Jesus does that. And it's not simply an act 
of healing. It is an act of restoration. And what Jesus is doing in that moment is nothing less than giving this man his humanity back. And notice he then instructs him, you need to go, you need to go show yourself to the priest. And the reason he does that is this, according to custom, for him to be restored to his community, to his family, to his friends, to his little town, wherever that might be, he needed the approval. He needed the, 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 the affirmation of a priest before those relationships could be restored. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. And in a real sense, isn't this an amazing picture of what, what Christ has come to do? I mean, he's come to give us our humanity back. He has come to liberate us from the leprosy of sin and guilt and restore us to God and to others. So we see Jesus coming with authority. We also see him coming with compassion. But one other thing that I want you to notice, and we're going to see this as we continue through the book, as I've already said, we also see the unexpected nature of his work. Right, because notice again, when he deals with a leper, he says, he warns him sternly, don't tell anybody. And you're like, why would he do that? Why does he command the demons? Why does he command the people he heals to be silent? That seems counterintuitive. Jesus, don't you want to get the message out about who you are and what you're doing? And, And yet he's constantly telling people to be quiet. In fact, scholars refer to this as the messianic secret in Mark's gospel. It seems so counterproductive. Why would he do that? Well, here's why. People had expectations of what the Messiah would look like. They had expectations of what a miracle worker should be. And and they would want Jesus to fit into their agenda. Yet Jesus' mission is much deeper and more transformative than they are looking for. For many, they, they simply want freedom from physical obstacles or physical pain, but, but he was coming to free them at a much deeper level, to free them from sin, to liberate them from their separation from God. And you see, it's not until people understand the cross that they can fully understand who Jesus is. So as we go through this book, Mark, even in these early stories that he's weaving together, he wants us to see Jesus' authority. He wants us to see Jesus' compassion. And he wants us to begin to wrestle with the fact that he's coming in a very unexpected way, a way that will lead to the cross. Now, in reality, I think as as Mark is inviting us to wrestle with who Jesus is, he's inviting us into the story. And even as we learn certain things about uh, about Jesus, we can also learn certain things about ourselves. First of all, I think we're invited as we put ourselves into the story to realize this, we are invited to see that we are summoned to follow him, right? As we see Jesus' call of these early disciples, we are invited to see that we are summoned to follow him. Now, you need to understand, in this ancient context, it, it wasn't unusual for a teacher, a rabbi, to have students. But what's surprising about this scene is this. Normally, it was the case that a student would pursue a teacher. But as a student would seek out a teacher and say, can I be your student? And then the teacher would make that call, yes or no. 
But here's the other way around. They're not seeking Jesus. Jesus is seeking them. And, and my guess is, remember, we've already seen that these, these aren't just kind of flailing fishermen who are looking for the next best thing. Most likely these are successful businessmen. And I'm sure they, they were fine with the other teachers who had students and, you know, they're, they're studying the law and, and what it means to, to follow God. That's great. They can do that. I've got this great fishing business. But Jesus comes to them. He invades their space and says, follow me. And in a real sense, what Mark is telling you is he's doing that to you as well. And maybe, maybe you would say, yeah, but I'm not the religious type and I, I don't fit into a certain stereotype of what it looks like to be a Christian. I don't necessarily look like the other people that I know that take Christianity seriously. But, but notice he's not calling you to fit into a stereotype. He's calling you into relationship with him. Follow me. So we are summoned to follow. And I think we also see here in order to follow, we must leave certain things behind. As Mark tells the story of this call, he does it in very dramatic fashion. And I think he probably leaves out some of the detail intentionally. We see call, we see response, and in responding, they leave everything behind. And really, that's built into Jesus' invitation. Because already he said, look, if you understand this moment of opportunity, then you understand that the only appropriate response is to repent, to turn from your self-sufficiency, to turn from a life that is simply self-directed and put your faith in me. And the reality is as we follow the story of Jesus over the next few weeks and his relationship with his disciples, we're going to learn that the journey of following Christ is a journey of leaving certain things behind. For some of us, we, in, in, in intentional ways, we need to leave our past behind. We are, we are stuck in some way. We are imprisoned in some way because of certain past experiences or past mistakes, past wrong turns. And they're slowing us down. For others, maybe we're stuck because our focus is elsewhere. You know, I, I started this journey of following Christ. I want to follow Christ. But right now, there's just so much other stuff I've got to take care of, so much other stuff that I need to focus on. Maybe I'm stuck because there's certain patterns of thinking or behavior that I can't seem to shake. I'm not even sure God loves me. Not really sure that Jesus' invitation applies to me. Maybe I'm, I'm stuck because it feels like following Jesus involves risk, and I'm not sure where that will take me. I don't know where it might lead. Maybe I'm stuck because I'm really not sure I should take this seriously. Interestingly, most scholars would argue that the the original audience of Mark's gospel was a group of Christians in, in Rome that had become followers of Christ, but now they're facing opposition and persecution, and they are wrestling with this question, okay, should we really take it seriously now? And part of what Mark is doing is saying, look, look at who he is. I know it's hard, but if you understand who he is, if you understand this is still a moment of opportunity, even if it's hard, then you will respond. Maybe I'm just content to observe from a distance, right? 
I'm intrigued by this Christian stuff. I'm intrigued by Jesus, but I just don't want to commit. I'm, I just prefer to stay back. And, you know, it's interesting as you go through the book, at times you will see crowds. And they always seem to be people who are amazed at Jesus. They're intrigued by Jesus. They marvel at Jesus. They enjoy watching him and hearing him, and yet, yet they don't take steps to follow. Maybe you're just comfortable being part of that crowd. Yet Jesus summons you. And the reality is, in order to follow, you must leave certain things behind. And right now, is there something you're needing to leave behind today? So he summons us to follow. And as we follow, we must leave certain things behind. And then finally, you, we begin to see in this passage that as we follow, we become part of his mission, right? He says, and I will send you out to fish for people. And what Jesus is saying early on with his early followers is, look, I'm not just calling you in to restore your relationship with God, but I'm calling you into a bigger mission of what I'm doing. And I realize for some of us, hearing that seems so demotivational. Because for some of us, our thought is, if we're honest, it's, you know what, I've been a follower of Christ for years. And it feels like I'm still stuck in the same patterns. I'm still stuck in some stuff. And I've been a follower for Christ for years. And, but maybe if people, if people really saw who I was, why would they ever want to be a follower of Jesus Christ? And so it's demotivating to to say that when you become a follower of Christ, you're being drawn into his mission. But if you feel that way, let, let me just point out one kind of interesting grammatical feature of what Jesus says. When he says, and I will send you out to fish for people, the language he uses actually communicates the idea of process. He actually says, and, and I'm going to send you out so that you become individuals who fish for people. Built into the, this very statement of Jesus is, is the expectation that, you know what, this is going to be a journey. This is going to be a process. And of course, as we follow the disciples, that is exactly what we see. We're going to see all these misunderstanding missteps. We're going to see them do embarrassing things. And yet along the way, they're still on this journey of following Jesus. And, and along the way, even though they're making lots of missteps and misunderstandings or part of their experience, they're being drawn into his mission. So here's what Mark is wanting us to see. He's saying, look, this moment of opportunity, this dynamic work of God is now here, whether you realize it or not. It is here through the work of Jesus Christ. It is here through this one who comes with authority, this one who comes with compassion, and this one who will ultimately go to the cross. He's the one inviting you to follow. He's the one inviting you to join him on mission. He's inviting you to take next steps in this journey. Even if it means leaving certain things behind. Now is the time. So I ask you again. Do you know what time it is? Do 
Do you know what time it is? Would you join me in prayer? And just in this moment, I just got to ask you just kind of just to sit quietly where you're at, just to close your eyes, bow your heads for a moment, and just think with me for a moment. As you hear Jesus' words and Jesus' pronouncement and his invitation, his summons to follow, even right now, is there something that you need to leave behind? Perhaps you would honestly say, you know, I, I'm intrigued by Jesus, I, I enjoy coming to church, or I'm kind of in the network of church, but I have yet to truly turn and believe. Can I just invite you that even in the quietness of this moment, that is a step you can take. This could be the day you get out of the crowd and start the journey of following Jesus. For others of us, even as, as you were listening to Jesus, and maybe you've started this journey, but the reality is there's certain things right now it just feels like you need to leave behind. Your, your focus has been elsewhere. Even as we go through the study of Mark, there's a sense in which you kind of need to regain a vision of who Jesus is because other things have been distracting and it just become all-consuming. And maybe even right now you need to just acknowledge that before God and say, you know what, this, this has become the thing in my life, Father, and, and I need to leave it behind or I need to leave the level of focus that I have on this behind. Maybe there's a step you know you need to take, but there's fear and risk involved and you need just to acknowledge that, but you don't want to be stuck. As I pray, would you just acknowledge that in following Jesus, there are certain things that we need to leave behind. So, Father, as we hear these words of Jesus, as we now hear him come onto the stage in Mark's gospel, I pray we would hear the invitation loud and clear. Pray that we'd be confronted with the truth that the moment of opportunity has arrived and we need to respond. Would your spirit even now just take Jesus' words to the deepest parts of who we are? And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we sing?
just ask you to take seriously just for a moment Jesus' invitation. And now as you go, let me just let you know that I'm going I'm to stick around at the front. There will be other people available as well. If you'd just like to pray with someone, maybe even as we've been talking, you would say, you know, there's this one thing I realize that I'm, I'm, I'm at this point where this is what I need to leave behind to take this next step. If, you, if you've got that or you just like someone to pray with you, to kind of celebrate with you, encourage you, we're going to be available here at the front to pray. So I invite you just to come forward at the end of the service. So now as you go, hear Jesus' words again. The time of opportunity, the kingdom of God is now here.